0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is in full swing. And our good friend, Wayne Saden, who I believe is our longest tenured, most episodes more than any of our other guests, most beloved, most wonderful. Wayne is here to talk today about IT investment and things are booming. The guy's happy. Wayne, how are you? Welcome back to Cloud Wars
1: Live. I'm terrific, Bob. It's always great to be here and always great to talk to you. And yeah I do think I'm your longest running guest. Uh, I think you and I met a couple of years ago and I guess you liked what I said. So <laughs> here we are two almost two and a half years later. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think Wayne, you
0: know, I liked it and more so I think lots of folks like it because you have that ability to do uh to cross what has been two cultures and I think Uh, in the future of digital business is going to have to become one culture, the worlds of technology and business. And you've been a master at straddling both of those and helping each party make sense to the other. And inevitably, I hope they're moving toward being able to speak a single
1: language of growth in business and opportunity. I'm really glad to hear you say it that way, because in fact, you'll see that's part of the topic. Yeah. Part of the topic is we've got to stop having an IT and a business, and we got to start thinking about how they work together. And so, yeah, that's a terrific point right there. Yeah, Wayne,
0: then I'll just say real quick, I, I know I've uh, been here about this before, but it used to drive me crazy when you'd hear a CIO say, you know, my job is to align IT with the business. And it just, uh, you know, it, it sort of sounds nice from a distance, but the first thing that that individual is saying is, I'm admitting IT is not part of the business. So we get to sit at the kid's table. We try to listen to snippets of what the grownups are saying and then we chase them around the house, trying to figure out, okay, where are we going? What's next? And inevitably you're always playing catch up. And if you go and actively sit at the kid's table, then the grownups are going to look at you and think, okay, he's a kid, you know, he or she's a kid, a nice kid, but it's a kid's table. So um, I, I think that that's another reason, I think, for optimism. You get those powerful forces of you know business-oriented IT leaders together with business executives who are stand, understanding enough of the technology to make better informed business decisions. It's going
1: to be a, a booming environment. Now, Bob, think of it this way. The IT person is an expert in one business discipline and should be aware of all of them. Just like the CFO is a master of one business discipline and should be aware of all of the others. So sometimes the CFO walks into the CMO's office and says, hey, there's a new tax law we should take advantage of. And then they brainstorm together. And the idea might have come from a CFO and drives an investment decision in manufacturing or in onshore, offshore, or in some other business function. Well, that's the same role the CIO should play. I should come into the board meeting or into the executive leadership team meeting and say, there's a great piece of technology that you should look at. Or have you thought about this business this way? And then have the business leaders who know their markets better than I will react and say, I think I could sell that. Or, well, that's a dumb idea, but could you do this instead? Uh And so that kind of interplay, it's partnership. It's not order taking. And that's a good deal of what we've got to change is to get IT playing with the business that's a two-way street by the way it's not yes. just the cio um, although we have to act like business people and stop acting like the kids at the other table as you point out but yeah. the business has to reach out too, which means the business has to become conversant in the language of not how we do it but what we can do yeah yeah the benefits of it
0: um way now just after one other point uh, b- on this tangent here, because you've got, uh, we want to get to this great lineup of things you have to talk about. But I remember one of my favorite examples of this was a guy named Bob Herbold. And for a while, Bob had been the CIO at Procter & Gamble. He did very well in that position. He did so well, they made him, I don't know if it was called chief marketing officer at the time, but he was head of global marketing because the people at P&G realized with what he knows now about technology and what we need to do, to really modernize and enhance and step up our marketing so he did that and then after those two stints he was hired by microsoft to be their chief operating officer where you know he was in there sort of, you know some of the real boom times at microsoft so um i i agree i think you know again wayne i think that's one of the reasons you've been so valuable here as a guest on cloud wars live You bring both perspectives to it, and you've got a great lineup of things today that I think as you begin to talk about IT investment
1: and going forward, what all that means. So Wayne, over to you. Okay. Well, the first thing I'm going to mention is you see the bottle of wine over my shoulder, the Heights 1995 vintage. And even for me, that's an old wine. And- Literally out of the blue, it came in the in the mail one day. One of my clients sent me a bottle of wine. No, I was a wine drinker. Has seen me in the, these videos, and I'm very impressed when a client goes above and beyond and says, "Here's something else besides paying you." So that's my premier bottle bottle of wine for today, and I will drink it to celebrate something.
0: <laughs> and Wayne, that was a, then. You know, the the client tossed that in. You know, sort of a a, a gift for having. Done a job sort of over and beyond, job very well done.
1: They were just happy with the work. I think they didn't expect, again, most people don't expect an IT person that helps with the business. Yes. Uh, it's shocking that people are surprised, but it's yeah. a fact of life and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Wayne,
0: before you start, just that one anecdote, tells that uh, what you had worked at a company, they, were, they did like a security uh, truck transfer work for a bank and they were trying to imagine their future business, but they thought they were in, was it the banking business? Banking business,
1: I'll tell you a quick story. So I was hired by an armored car company and they hired me because they said, you're a bank person and banks are our clients and we want a CIO that understands the banking business. And so here I am looking at their IT operation. I'd never been in cash logistics before. And after about 90 days, I got the executive leadership team together. And I said, you hired the right person, but not for the reason you expect. You're not a bank. You don't make money on spread. To you, it's a bag of stuff. It's actually in the industry called liability. It's a bag of liability because that's what it represents to us. It's a bag of stuff that's worth a lot of money we shouldn't lose. What you are, I told them, was a job shop manufacturer. You actually turn messy piles of money into neat piles of money and then deliver them and install them in the ATM or in the cash drawer or whatever. So you really need to be thinking of the business using job shop manufacturing principles and the heck with what banks do. And, and funny, funny story, because you, you know, we work with a lot of vendors, we had to call Oracle and say, take us out of the banking vertical and put us in the manufacturing vertical. And nobody at Oracle had ever had that question before. So it took quite a bit of time to have the right salespeople call us to sell us the right parts of the Oracle suite. Um, but but that's, that's the thing, Bob, that I, it's not in my, my prepared stuff, but it's important. Um, and we'll talk about that in a bit with industry clouds. If you think about what we do in, in the world, my th- rule of thumb is 80% of what companies do is the same we buy, we sell, we make, we store, we ship. We collect, we grant credit, we hire people, we promote them, we terminate them, they leave us, that sort of thing. So 80% is skills that you can pick up almost anywhere and apply almost everywhere. The other 10% of that, next 10%, is industry jargon. It's usually expressed in adjusted EBITDA, which is how we tell our story that looks like Gap but really makes our industry look better or our company look better because of seasonality, because of backlogs, whatever the kind of accounting that's unique to our industry. So that you learn in the industry and you learn that from all the people around you. And the last 10% is one this armored car company was around for almost 160 years. And they told me how the business works because I don't know that business. And then I talked to their competitor. I met their competitor. It was actually 300 miles up the road. And they're, they're only 156 years old, you see. And they explained to me that the other company knew nothing about this industry and it's all different. Which proves to me that no matter what you think you know about an industry, until you get into the company, you won't know. it. Yeah. And, and so, so my point on all of that is the stuff you learn in manufacturing can be transferred over to healthcare. The stuff you learn, I, I work for an energy company and the energy trading that was done was a little less sophisticated than some of the financial services, commodity trading we did. So we started uh, commingling commodity people from financial services. If you look at how credit and collections work in autos or subprime mortgages, compare that to healthcare. Mm -hmm. If you had a collection operation as good in that industry as in other industries or a logistics chain in healthcare, um, healthcare thinks their business is taking care of sick people and it is but that involves hospitality, manufacturing, it involves scheduling when you look at operating rooms, it involves credit collections, all those things. So they run all these other businesses and yet they do them with only that insularity of their industry. So when they say, I want the best person in this, they want the best person with a PhD in virology to run their call center. Because how could you run a call center if you weren't a doctor? it's silly. And, and by the way, I see this in energy. I live in Houston. I see this in energy. So we've got to start thinking about there is uniqueness to our industry, but much more of it are generic skills that we can bring across the aisle, across the table, and start using that generic capability to say best practices is not best in our industry, but best in the world. Yeah. yeah. One follow-up on that,
0: When I'd say, as you described it more and more, you know, uh, whatever industry somebody's in, they'll continue to do those things like uh, put the person with the VHD in virology in charge of the call center until that company begins to say, we've got to put the customer at the center of everything we do. What's going to drive the best experience for the customer? So for call center, you want to have somebody who actually understands call centers, let the virologist, focus his or her time where you know that can best be done. Um, Wayne, this is uh, <laughs> this is great so I, I I'm looking forward to hearing your story later about when you have that heights 1995 that's wonderful but uh, it sounds like you know we, we talk about this thing in the digital revolution. Um, I know I mention it every episode, but I do think this is happening. And part of that, we're seeing you know, the economy is really starting to open up fast. You've got some big numbers to share.
1: Well, just from the Wall Street Journal this morning, let's look at the stories. The state tax revenues did not collapse. The economists were predicting depression level collapse. Guess what? They were roughly flat. Um, That's number one. Number two, we're about to dump almost $2 trillion into an economy that's already starting to open up. I'm not here to talk about politics, I'm here to talk about macroeconomics. The effect of dumping that into the economy will heat the economy and maybe overheat it one day, but for now, it's gonna be a rocket sled. And they're predicting 6% GDP growth in the story I read this morning, the fastest since 1983. So we're going from relative stagnation where everybody went home and hunkered down and hid to not just reopening, But reopening way up here, it's as though you woke from a deep sleep, Rip Van Winkle, and discovered you're in the 21st century. (laughs) And and that's what a lot of companies are gonna see and they're not really preparing and not really prepared for it. So I love this
0: line of yours, right? Wayne, you had said the worst time to acquire new skills is in the middle of a fight.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a martial arts slash (laughs) military thing. what What it goes to say is go get good at something when you have time. Yeah, and, and so you cannot acquire new skills in the middle of a fight, because you're too busy with the fighting. So right now, it, is it too late? If, am I, if I'm advising a client, am I going to tell them it's too late? You missed the boat? And the answer is no, maybe you haven't. But, but bear in mind, we've got to be worried about the next normal. Let's not call it the new normal. It's the next normal. I like that term because it implies there will be one after that, and one after that, and one after that. It's not just old and new. It's where are we evolving? So let's look at the capabilities of that. You're going to scale your business. When markets are going to grow, whatever you make and sell and buy is going to go up. If you're in hospitality, if you're in transportation, of course, because you're down in the toilet. If you're in logistics, we're about to invest in make America, buy America, invest in semiconductors in America, invest in lithium in America, so that we're not so dependent on the rest of the world. We learned. And the president is involving industry leaders in trying to do more stuff here. And even if they're not, look at your supply chain. We all had supply chains that went off to Asia. So I call it the dumbbell supply chain. We have a big, big mass of stuff way away. We have a big mass of stuff, our customers, our warehouses here, and then they're connected by a long skinny bar. Uh-huh. So think of that as the dumbbell logistics plan. That's gonna to change to a spider web. We're gonna pull that stuff in from offshore and go to near shore and onshore. We're gonna bring it here. We're gonna have more safety stock. Look, I learned classical uh, operations research, right? Just in time inventory, stock out cost and all that. EOQ, economic order quantity has a risk element. We all ignored the risk element and said, well, risk is zero. It'll always be there when we want it. We discovered it's not always there when we want it. and If that doesn't change people's behavior, I don't know what will. So we're gonna change and become more complex. At the same time, we have to be more agile because are we gonna open at this speed or this speed, or maybe this speed followed by this speed, followed by that speed over here and over there is gonna be different. Where will the cruise ship industry wind up? Um, in Galveston where I have a house, they're spending a hundred million bucks on a new cruise ship port for bigger bigger boats. What if they legalize gambling in Texas one day? Who, who knows? And so how are you ready in your industry to respond to unprecedented level and speed and interaction of change? So it's your m and the other thing I'm gonna say is m and Those of you that prepared and are preparing and can move faster than your competitors will be acquiring them. Those that have decided they don't want to or can't move fast, get ready to be acquired at the best price. There's not necessarily any shame. I've been acquired many times. You can do okay. I'd rather be the acquirer, but you can do okay. As I said to you earlier, when you catch a ti- when you grab a tiger by the tail, some of you get eaten, and so we've got to be the one that hangs on to that tiger and not the one that falls off and gets eaten. So, And the last thing, of course, with all of that is work from home, work from anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I grew up in New York City, where density is why we live there. It's so that one, I remember trying to eat at every restaurant west of Fifth Avenue on 53rd Street, one <laughs> restaurant a week. I was living in a suburb, I came in, and we never finished. We got from Fifth Avenue to Seventh Avenue and realized that half the restaurants had changed. So we were never going to make one block of Manhattan going once a week to new restaurants. You you can, what Armenian restaurant has the best delivery at 2 a.m. is the question you can ask in New York. You can't ask that in uh, Galveston, Texas, but density is now not our friend. So people have said, I don't wanna travel, somebody called it a horizontal COVID tube, a subway train, Uh and then get into a vertical COVID tube, an (laughs) elevator. I would much rather work in a place like Dallas or Houston or, or Phoenix where I could walk up the two stories if I even go back to the office, where real estate prices are one-fifth what they were, although that gap is narrow, is rapidly shrinking, and be able to work in a socially distanced environment that I arrived in in my own car because there's parking and roadways. for So the work from home, work from anywhere paradigm is gonna change. Look, if you're in an industry and you're used to making everybody come to headquarters, but we all come here, you're hiring the best team you can hire in 30 miles if somebody else in your industry has decided they're gonna go after the best team they can hire in the world, number one, and number two, they're gonna give up the cost of running real estate as a key element of their business. What is gonna be your long-term growth trajectory versus theirs? So once somebody in the industry takes the plunge and we realize, and by the way, we kind of learned that in the last 13 months, that you can work from home, that you can work remotely, People are going to start saying, maybe I can, and maybe I can make a business out of that. And they're going to then trigger an avalanche of people saying, I got to compete. I've got to be in the labor market, they're in. I've got to be shedding those nonproductive assets called headquarters. And the business is going to change. So if you don't think it's going to change, you're not reading. The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, the, the papers, you're not talking to people. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe those people who aren't changing have locked themselves in their houses and they're about to get vaccinated and go out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I agree, Wayne, that the things that are happening now are, are profound. And you know, we hear the CEO say it on earnings call, the amount of change that used to take two or three years is now two or three months. That's not hyperbole. It's, a, it's quite extraordinary what's happening. And then... That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. As those changes happen in such short periods, as you said, that will become the speed at which uh, businesses operate, at which customers' expectations rise up, they expect, to, you know, what I can imagine I can have. And more and more, you know, it, it's getting to be that way. So the nimbleness that companies have to have, as you described, is perfect. And I think that is a, an opportune segue here for a word from BMC, our sponsor. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. So, Wayne, you know, there's... uh, You have teed up, you know, quite an exciting um, view into the future here and the near future. I mean, you know, from now to, you know, let's think out two or three years, what might happen here. Um, What are the places where you are suggesting that, you know, businesses make the investments to help capitalize on these incredible
1: forces that
0: are headed our way?
1: Sure. Let's talk about that for a bit. So the first thing on my list, I'm on the Cloud Wars Live platform, is cloud, We have got to be moving our capabilities and IT out of our back rooms and into somebody else's back room. Look what just was reported with the exchange hack. If you're running on-prem exchange email system, for those that don't know, you were probably hacked. If you're running in the cloud, you probably weren't because there's lots of reasons. We have whole videos devoted to technical debt. Uh, videos devoted to uh, managing your cybersecurity hygiene. Let's just say for, for purposes here, the cloud means you can outsource a lot of your infrastructure maintenance, which is often slow and ugly and hard to put together in big companies. You outsource that to Google or IBM or Microsoft or Oracle or something. So the cloud as a whole gives you that ability to move faster in your IT. If you're running 10 servers and you want to run 100, You got a hundred. So these are things that CIOs, by the way, I've seen CIOs in big companies that are afraid to make that move, but we know how to run our business and we're good at it. You know what? CEOs, boards, you gotta be tougher on your CIO. You've heard me say the CIO gets the CIO they settle for. This is a case where that's gonna kill your business. If your IT organization is resistant to change, shockingly, they don't wanna be changed any more than the rest of the company. You got to help them understand the need for change and partner with the right CIO for the next few years, it's critical. So if they're not moving to cloud, get them moving to cloud. Within the cloud category, let's drop down to a subcategory, software as a service, SaaS. And what that means is taking your application software, the software that delivers business capabilities, out of a box that ships to you, a magnetic tape that ships to you, a DVD that ships to you, or a big hunk of software you download, and moving that into the cloud. And you say, "Yeah, that's no problem. IT will just move my stuff into the cloud. Wrong. SaaS is a new way of thinking. It says, I'm not in the software construction and maintenance business anymore. I've outsourced that, again, to Oracle, to SAP, to uh, Workday, to whoever and let them do the heavy lifting of keeping up with industry regulations, of keeping up with interfaces to other systems. Because see, in the old days, let's go back 30 years. I'm doing an SAP or an Oracle implementation. I would hire a big company. They would write a 5,000 page spec on everything we want to do. We'd hire another big company and they would code every screen by hand because my screens have to look like they need to look for my company because I'm us. And you wind up having this multi-year process that may work fine, but it locks you into the company you were when you started writing the bloody specs. The modern world is of composite applications. If I want to plug Workday into my Microsoft Suite, Connect, I can do it. If I want to build a Salesforce and something else, NetSuite environment, click what's called an API, again, not geeky, but application programming interface, Allows me to connect applications in the cloud in a way I could never do before. So it's not going to be about who gets the most customized software eventually. It's going to be who can get software that does the most stuff the quickest and is the most flexible in the future. And let me let me digress for a minute into you did a piece on Satya Nadella and the industry cloud. Yeah. Why is industry cloud so important? You know, my 80, 10, 10, I gave you before it's 80% the same. It's 10% industry and it's 10% company. Well, there's a modification of that. Let's look at the difficulty in implementing the 80 and the 10 and the 10 in software. So the 80 buy, sell, hire, fire, make ship, whatever. Microsoft can sell us that SAP can sell us that Oracle can sell us that. That's easy. So let's say that's 80% of your project. No, Because the 10% that's messy is all the ancillary systems. Mm -hmm. It's the system that inspects things, it's your safety system, it's your warehouse management system that does frozen seafood that nobody else does that way. So now you've got an environment where I've got this core ERP system, and now I've got my 47 different ancillary systems, most of which were not written for the cloud, most of which were not written to be plugged into bigger systems, and I craft a custom interface. So it's not 80 and 10, it's maybe 60 and 30 in effort. My effort comes in gluing this stuff together. Now let's look at an industry cloud. Microsoft or SAP or whoever decides they're going to try to understand our industry. So they're going to learn to speak our language. They're going to learn what the fire standard is in healthcare. They're going to learn how we do EDI in our particular industry to connect things they're going to figure out all the interfaces and all the standards that we have to comply with to auditors and, and maybe regulators. So now they come with an out-of-the-box solution that either has a safety or inspection system or a specific construction accounting module. And now my ability to implement becomes more like 80 and 10 because they've pre-configured either interfaces or systems that do that job. So that's the beauty of industry cloud. They speak my language, that 10% that's industry, which represents 30, maybe 40% of the implementation comes out of the box from Microsoft or SAP or Oracle. And so my customization and configuration effort goes way down and I get a complete solution. I don't get a 80% solution that's only 40% finished being implemented. So it is truly groundbreaking, earth-shaking. Now, there's a challenge. I don't normally talk about the IT industry, but we're going to have to spend a minute. If you have a direct sales model, I make software, I sell it, I help you implement it. That's terrific. In fact, you'll get a lot more revenue. What about the indirect channel? I'm going to pick on Microsoft here because I know they sell their D365 through resellers. So when I work with a client, I, I find a reseller in that client's industry mm-hmm. who typically has either IP or unique capabilities in crafting those interfaces. So here's a challenge I'm going to put forth to Microsoft and its ecosystem. How do you protect your resellers? How do you protect those people who bring that industry knowledge? And now all of a sudden, a big chunk of their recurring revenue and their differentiation, why are you different than them? Is because I know frozen foods, I know construction, I know warehouse management. Now, all of a sudden, Microsoft knows that. And so I think there's going to be a rebalancing of the entire indirect channel of software. But as a customer, as a CIO with customers, I love it. Yeah. Because it means that I go that 80-10, that which was really 80 and 40, 120% work, <laughs> yeah. goes away. So it is uniquely important right now. Because if you're a CEO in an industry, and Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, I'm gonna just say whatever the range of names is, has an industry cloud, which includes interfaces, which includes data structures, which includes ancillary systems that are so messy and ugly, and you can plop them in on a cloud, no infrastructure in your data center, it may not be too late. You may still be able to grab that tiger by the tail before it accelerates, so you can't grab it. If this was the old days with Oracle, SAP, blah, 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 it's looking a three-year project. Yeah. Now maybe you can get pieces done in months. So it's a terrific thing and it's at exactly the right time. And I don't know how Microsoft and the others think, but did they come out with it because of the new normal, next normal, or did they just come out with it because the time was right? That's a question for you and your industry connections, I guess. Well, Wayne, first,
0: uh, you know, I love that idea that you've described there about the shifting burdens that companies can have if they move to the cloud, right? There's still a lot of work to do, but more of it gets driven up into that high value, differentiated, great customer experience capabilities. What I think is so fascinating about industry clouds, because I I think it is going to be one of the hottest markets for the next two or three years is that uh, all the new tools and capabilities that go along with cloud are with that. So you're not only going to have as you so eloquently described those uh, industry specific domain specific connectors and pieces and solutions. But also along with that, you get the analytics, you get the data flow, you get the connection of that to the next piece down the line so that companies Uh, are not operating in silos they don't have to have industry cloud for retail warehouse industry cloud for retail storefront industry you know it is it is uh it takes so much of the integration burden as you've described off of the hands of the customer and puts more knowledge insight opportunity capability in the hands of those businesses which which i think is great um i'll just say quickly about your thought about microsoft you know was it the past year that maybe has accelerated this they had their government cloud set up i think in 2014 and it was about a year ago that microsoft Mm -hmm. did um, a couple of smaller clouds but this this move toward getting this right is absolutely uh, something that's quite current and they had one of their executive vice president guy named jason zander spoke at a uh, Goldman Sachs Investors Conference recently. And this guy who runs sort of the internal s- cloud systems, all the Azure stuff, Microsoft, he mentioned several times during his discussion about how you know they are creating new things in the Azure infrastructure to handle the, the new data, uh, the new data demands and requirements and capabilities that Microsoft's gonna build. So this is, Wayne, as you've described, it is so much more than just taking... horizontal application, make a little bit vertical. It's going to unlock and unleash, I think, an entirely new way of doing business. Uh, I think it's going to be quite profound here. Well,
1: you know, as a working CIO for most of my career and advisor to those people doing this, the challenge is that most most industry analysts don't cover the $20 million, very specialized vertical software companies. Whenever I work with a client, I don't care how big they are, They've got like plums in a plum pudding. So they got this big plum pudding called ERP. And then they've got 200 little applications plugged into it somehow. Uh Maybe swivel chair interface that you have to solve with RPA right now. Or maybe some cheap little thing you've hooked up. Or maybe they're sitting on top of a TIBCO bus or something. Mm -hmm. But you're still dealing with a plethora of small vendors that are very industry-specific and knowledgeable but really haven't ever had the money or the demand from their customers to port this to a real cloud SaaS application. So a lot of those vendors say we're in the cloud and what they are is co-located. So I've still got the old custom software model just running on their data center. It's not really the cloud. And so by opening up the interfaces, again, when Microsoft added the Fire standard, which is a healthcare standard into their plat- power platform and put that into their data model, All of a sudden, anybody that wants to do fire interoperability, which should be everybody in that industry, can now plug right into Microsoft's data model and into Microsoft's, as you say, analytical stack, um, ERP and workflow stack. It's just opened up things for innovative new vendors. Because if I'm a vendor, I've got to write all this stuff. And if I want to do a very narrow industry thing, maybe it's a $30 million business I can build. I can't afford to implement the whole cloud stack in the old way. But if Microsoft, or, and again, I'm picking a Microsoft, Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, IBM gives me a toolkit and says here, build it on our tool set and it'll plug into the rest of our ecosystem. All of a sudden, my time to market goes down, my capabilities go way up because now I can take advantage of Power BI and Power Apps, Einstein, whatever. And I've got a ready market. I go into the app store for the respective vendor because now I plug in and all of a sudden people had never heard of my little software shop in Houston, Texas or uh, Perth, Australia yeah. now go, I want that, click. And they install it like you'd install a consumer app except it's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So we're gonna change the revenue model and open up a new industry of people crafting narrow vertical solutions that look slick because they sit on top of the UI and customer experience of the big company. And that works slick because they're sitting on top of the entire billion-dollar IP stack. The in, Again, a little geeky, infrastructure-as-a-service platform-as-a-service that cloud creates to build applications far more functional, far faster, far easier to customize, and, and also far easier to switch out. The, with the good comes the bad. If I plug in an application to do, let's say, construction safety, and I don't like them, there's an API now. The data sitting in my data warehouse in my ERP So I unplug one and plug in the other. So you better keep up if you're in that business. Anyway, it's a change in the way we think. And the big thing is we're becoming more agile, more flexible, more adaptable. And if you as a company are sitting with an old ERP or even an old ERP moved to the cloud by putting it on someone else's servers, you are going to be left behind.
0: Yeah. Hey, Wayne, before I know you've got some great thoughts here about how do you budget for all of this? And I'm I'm eager to hear your thoughts on that. But I want to mention, you know, one observation about uh, you asked about the Microsoft and the partner ecosystem, and they've always been big in that. I think one of the ways it's changing is, you know, if you look at uh, Satya Nadell has been saying this for two or three years, it talks about tech intensity. And he says to his customers, your job, your future is dependent not only on buying stuff from companies like Microsoft, but also your ability to create your own specialized, uh, not customized software, but your own applications, your own what he calls tech intensity. And then I think in parallel, Microsoft is expecting the same of its ecosystem. Go from being people who sell through Microsoft stuff, create your own stuff. And then for many of those cases, right, then those partners in the Microsoft ecosystem, if they create something pretty cool around Azure, then They get the Microsoft sales organization, global sales organization to sell it. So I think part of that vision from Nadella is customers are going to make their own stuff. Partners are going to make their own stuff. And for those partners, we'll help sell those. So it is a a business model evolution there as well that I think is pretty profound. And I I think that's been a distinguishing uh, factor for Microsoft. One of the reasons they're number one by far on my Cloud Wars top 10 is because I think as good as their technology is their go-to-market approaches, their business model approaches, how they adapt and innovate and push their customers and partners to do things differently and to think differently. They've just been out in front on that. And I, I really, really
1: admire their sort of 360 uh, capability to do that. I agree. I've been a Microsoft fan before it was trendy. Yeah, I've been a customer of theirs. Um, my brother retired from Microsoft, so I've, I've seen his success. Um, and I, I really have enjoyed dealing with them because they've always thought more about the customer than some other software companies and, yeah. than most others. And there are some, and I'll single out Oracle, I think cares a lot about their customers and understands their customers and they get beat up a lot. My experiences with them have been very good, but in the Microsoft thing, you, you mentioned customers tech intensity is interesting because, you know, I did the 80, 10, 10, yeah. and then explain that middle 10, but the last 10, The last 10 is how we differentiate ourselves from others in our industry. So let's digress for a minute. We used to have IT struggling to get all those APIs and stuff built, the plums and the plum pudding, to work well. But then we had this other thing called shadow IT, which I, by the way, don't call shadow IT. Shadow IT is all the IT that happens without the CIO knowing it. And we could have lots of complicated and fancy definitions. That's the simple one. That's 5,000 Excel spreadsheets that plug into the general ledger and ruin your socks audit. It's all that kind of stuff. Uh And so I call it rogue IT rather than shadow IT, because shadow sounds kind of comfortable and not bad, but, but rogue IT is what it has been. And that's how companies, unfortunately, that's how companies develop their IT capabilities, their tech intensity. With modern tools, again, a cloud ERP, that sits on top of a construction platform for RPA, for low code, for no code, for data analytics, the data warehousing, and so on. Again, I'll use the Microsoft Power Platform coupled with Teams, coupled with D365. It's not just an application stack. Here it is, go figure out the underlayers. It's here's some underlayers. Here's some applications we built for a billion dollars on top of them. And here's some more tools you can buy. And now what I can do as a CIO is I can say, here's the tool, the Microsoft Power Platform tools, uh, Flow or or, uh, Power Automate now, and uh, and Power Apps and Power BI, and say, here it is, citizen developer. I, as the CIO, control the data architecture. There's the database. I control the security model. Here's our overarching security model, and you have to follow it because you're living in my database. Here's the application architecture because we've got everything in GitHub. So all of a sudden, I can turn those shadow or rogue IT developers, doing stuff without my knowledge, into citizen developers collaborating with the pro devs, the professional developers who work for the CIO or for the outsource organizations. So it, it, it unlocks a tremendous amount of capability. And so again, that if I said the 80% 10, 10 was 80% work to implement, then top 30% on top of that for the industry, which Microsoft is going to fix. And the last 10% is probably 40% again, 10% in IT, 30% everywhere else in the business. And now I wind up with an 80 plus 20 or say 80 plus 40 plus 30 is 150% of bang for my buck. I'm going to have to patent that whole thing because it just occurred to me talking to you, but that's really what's happened. Yeah. And so yeah. you asked me about budgeting, we, we digress, but I do want to spend a minute. I know we're running low on time, but budgeting matters in all this because it ties directly into this discussion. So I'll try to be quick. But I, I, I think, no way, and what's great there is
0: if, you, if part of your, of, uh, you know, Satan's budget theorem for IT is how can you get 150% of value that you've outlined mm-hmm. for 100% of what you're spending, hey, That's a pretty darn good deal.
1: And and I think there is a return like that, but we have to unlock the budget process. And, you know, we've talked about this, I think, a couple of years ago. That was one of our first topics. Let's look at how we budget IT today. Mm -hmm. So today, IT, unfortunately, often reports to the CFO. Um, Because And that's unfortunate because CFOs see things through their lens of being a CFO. They can be great leaders, but they're still going to be CFO-ish versus operation-ish, manufacturer-ish, sales-ish, and marketing-ish. But whoever you report to, your IT budget is usually fixed. So the CEO or the board, whatever, says your budget is 2.1% of sales or 1.6% of sales, or you're going to be 11% of SG&A. So they give you this pile of money at the beginning of the year here, Right, So you've got this central IT budget and all IT projects better go through that IT budget so we understand it. Now, I describe IT as being similar to fertilizer. If you spread it out in a nice even pile, things grow. If you pile it up in one place, it just stinks. And so the IT budget is like that. We pile up all the IT budget. It becomes a target for everybody that wants to snipe at us. Well, oh, IT budget is up by 22%. Yeah, but sales is up by 37%. We just acquired four companies. I fight that fight. I fought that fight for decades. Um, we take. We have all these processes. We have steering committees. We have demand management systems. What are they trying to do? Allocate a scarce resource. 10 pounds in a five pound sack. So we spend time negotiating. We go to steering committee meeting. Everybody submits their projects. By the way, projects get submitted in two places. I want my project done now, top of the list. I don't care, which is the same as never. Nobody comes to the CIO and goes, hey, would you make my project number 27 on your list? So you wind up with 80% of the stuff is the iceberg under the water. We never even look at it because our budget stops here. And then we fight over that politically, emotionally, with accounting. And by the way, the business is out there investing in their own IT capabilities with mini computers 30 years ago, then with servers. Now with, all right, I'll put put Salesforce on my credit card or we'll write, I can't tell you some of the ugly Excel macros I have had to (laughs) debug as a CIO or access databases that should never have been that way. So we're spending all of this money and not imagining it, not accounting for it. It's just being spent out in the hinterlands of the company where we can't see it. That's a terrible model. We're not investing architecturally. We're not investing from a security perspective. We're creating all of these islands of information unintegrated. We're creating massive security exposures potentially. I partner with a vendor and don't tell IT and I go around some control. And either we get caught in the SOX audit or the external audit, or we don't, which is worse. And some uh, evildoer finds the back door and comes into our company. Yeah, and, and Wayne, you
0: know, those. The, that's a... It's a frightening picture in some way, because if you're a business trying to operate that way, you, you're you going to have a world of trouble, right? If you thought it was tough the last five years, the next five years are going to uh, bring a lot of misery to that sort of approach. But it goes back, you know, your, your notion about the fertilizer, put it all in one place, it stinks, spread it out, things grow, and that's, I think, exactly parallel to that notion that CIOs who allow the it organization to be set up as something separate this is not part of the business we support the business. no 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 if you are part of the business then you are able to sidestep some of those you know absurd steering committee stuff over here what you think the business is just going to sit and wait to the you know the outcome of these you know poobahs up here uh, no they're going to do what they're paid to do which is help the company grow and do and do certain things so Wayne, if everybody was just as smart as you and I are, then there would be no problems here. And I, I, I can't wait for that day, right?
1: Well, they are as smart. The thing is, we've all been used to doing it the way we do it. And, and yeah. you know, change is hard. We talk about what I'm now calling true digital transformation. That's rethinking your culture, your markets, your products, your processes, your customer experience, and your employee experience. And so whether you're talking about selling a new product in the market, or how you run your company, we have to be willing to make the hard changes to our company so that we can move forward. And that's the challenge we all face. It's, it's comfortable to say, we have a steering committee, we have a monthly budget meeting, we have an IT backlog, we can show it to the board, blah, blah, blah. That is not the reality, as you point out. The business people are not paid to wait for some industrial process to run at glacial pace Um, because big companies take a long time to get these things through their PMO and their investment group. So so let's talk about what we ought to do, because what I've just described is probably 95% of all the companies over $250 million in sales in the world, certainly in the United States. What should we do? Well, the first thing we should do is think about the IT budget very differently. I'm a CIO, let's say. And I have a budget for info security and data warehousing and all this geeky stuff, infrastructure, plumbing. And so I should have my budget for that. And I should go fight for my new security tool with the audit committee or the risk committee of the board, just like everybody else. But I don't want to be budgeting for your new banking system or your new EHR or your new CRM, if you're the sales manager. Many years ago, CIO at a bank run by a Wall Street titan very entrepreneurial, very fast charging. We had a huge IT transformation budget. And here I am in front of the board, CIO, brand new, presenting projects for all the business units. And the business unit execs are sitting behind the board, essentially laughing at me. Because I'm getting asked questions by the board about this guy's business and that woman's business, her business, his business. And here I am trying to answer them. I went to the CEO afterwards and said, I'm never doing that again. If you're the head of sales or you're the head of branches or you're the head of mortgage lending, you're gonna stand up and talk about your project. I will sit next to you. And when the board says, is that the good technology? I'll go, yep. Have you been involved in that? Absolutely. Will I be whispering in their ear? Will I be suggesting? Will I be coming up with new products that I may wanna sell? Absolutely. But let's take the IT budget and stop calling it the IT budget and start calling it part of a business unit's budget I want to open five offices. I want to hire 500 people. I want to expand to three markets and I want a new computer system. Mm -hmm. Now I need to own, I used to say to my staff, you can own the what, what you want if you're the business. I need to own the how. Mm -hmm. You can't say I want to pick Salesforce because you like Salesforce and the other unit picks Workday. We've got to agree that IT gets to set the architecture from security, from data management, from process and tools and so on. But the business ought to be budgeting because they get the benefit. The other problem with the old budget model is here's the project budget. I need $150 million to do blah, 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 blah. How did that help the company to spend that $150 million? It helped it because somebody did something different afterwards. I got a new product out of it. I cut costs out of it. I entered a new market because of where do those benefits accrue? Well, they accrue over there in the business unit. So how many times have you been, a, as I've been a CIO, had a wildly successful project that we spent more on because the business was growing, and I get beat up because I'm over budget. I'm over budget because you opened 12 offices that weren't in the plan a year ago. Yeah. But by the way, your sales are up 40%. You get the bonus. It's just not right. I don't mind you don't give me the bonus. The company did better. My stock options improve. But we ought to be thinking about putting the pain and the gain in the same pockets. And especially, so let's change the budget. Yeah, Wayne, especially <clears throat>
0: go back to what you were talking about at the beginning, this sort of boom times, the opportunities, the pace of change, the way things are coming. If businesses are not able to harness this new mindset about budgeting that you've described here, they're not gonna be able to capture as much of this, you know, boom times as some of their competitors are, right? These things go together. And the, the the important thing is to lead with these big ideas and the opportunism. But then within that, they've got to adopt this new type of outlook toward budgeting and priorities and figuring in that there's this pace of change, right? You, you, they're not going to be able to slow things down like they were, can't get comfortable, you know, in some old fashioned ways of doing things. And they're going to have to accept that there's going to be some, uh, you know, some, what do you call that, um, imprecision along the way that you're gonna to have to get to to accept that, work as best you can, adapt along the way. And that ties into all the things you said about flexible systems, be able to change, be able to adapt, update, move forward like that. So it really is, uh, you've presented a very, very compelling uh, sort of smooth end-to-end continuum here, right? The, you, you can't say, well, I'll do the first part, but I don't wanna do the second part. It all rolls together, right? well.
1: I'm- the unfortunate thing is, some companies are trying to do what you just said they shouldn't. The business, as you said, is not going to stand still. So, the worst outcome is we got the tiger by the tail, and there are multiple tigers running off in multiple <laughs> directions. And so, each business unit grabs their tiger, their, their technology, their stack, their whatever. And then at the end of this boom time, there will be a time when we have to contract. We discover we have seven ERPs, four EHRs, 14 customer engagement systems or we go to hook them together for some business reason and discover it's bloody expensive. So now we turn the whole, the clock cycles around to technical debt, which is the off balance sheet liability of all the things you should have done and didn't do to maintain your systems. So the worst outcome is we're gonna ignore what I just said, we're gonna grow like crazy, and then we're gonna to have to pay that piper down the road. So, so Bob, to, to put it all in perspective, The problem is we need a board. It needs to start with the board. The board has the duty of care. Remember the board's job is to look out for the interest of the owners, the shareholders, and their job is to keep the whole management accountable for that. And what's missing in a lot of boards today is the understanding of the implications of technology. And so, you know, I talked quite a bit about the QTE, the Qualified Technology Expert Director, just like the QFE that Sarbanes-Oxley mandated. We need to have boards that are aware of what the risks are, which we spent a lot of time talking about cybersecurity and other risks, but the opportunities have to be managed every bit as carefully. We cannot allow unbridled expansion in 14 directions, but we don't want to smother innovation. So we have to maintain the simultaneous loose tight organization. And what you need I think is board knowledge that says, what are we doing about this? Have we looked at that? Uh, We skipped over some details about technologies to invest in, but what are you doing about networking, about work from a distance and so on? And being able to ask those questions, not so much of the IT person, but of the business leaders. Are you in your business taking advantage of that? Because it's easy, especially if IT is working for a CFO down a level for the business to just ignore the IT function unless they want an order fulfilled. So give IT a seat at the table, absolutely. But let the board be the one setting the place settings at the table mm-hmm. and make sure that there's a technology course in every meal. Boy, that, i ruined that, that uh, metaphor. We <laughs> want the technology plates to be set in the meal. So we're having the right discussion. And so I say, it's I, I come back to tone at the top quite often. If the IT leader is not a partner with the CEO and the rest of the C-suite, if the board is not conversant with technology risks and opportunities, you will make bad decisions. You may not know they're bad decisions right now, because again, the market is growing, the rising tide lifts all the boats. But someday you'll wake up to discover you've been hacked, you've been Amazoned or Ubered out of business, or you're just running a conglomerate instead of a single entity. And so my, my message with all of this is it's time to grow. It's time to become more agile. It's time to get ready to move faster without letting the control slip from your fingers. So we've got to maintain not chaos but orderly growth and we can do it with some of the things we talked about.
0: Well Wayne that is a fantastic overview and primer for people to think about and work on in these uh, these fast moving times. I'd urge them not to think about it too long because these are good ideas they need to you know, find the right way to weave those into what's going on. And as always, Wayne, I think your, your insights and uh, the hard-earned experience, as well as the you know, uh, high intelligence perspective you add to this is really, really helpful, Wayne. So thanks a lot, it's exciting times. I'm pretty pumped up about uh, 2021 to begin with. And after talking with you today, I'm even more excited. So thank you for that.
1: Hey, if I can get you excited about the world, I've succeeded, Bob.
0: Well I'm there I'm there pretty much anyway Wayne but I think partly to enjoy your heights 1995 uh, you you've clearly clearly earned that Wayne always good to see
1: you my friend thanks for being here My pleasure and again I say this to everybody every time I love the feedback interact with me interact with us tell us we're wrong tell us we're right tell us we missed something I learn from these interactions and I'm happy to interact with people and discuss these sorts of problems and opportunities Great
0: Wayne, thanks a lot. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Wayne will be back again next month after two and a half years. Uh, He still can't get rid of me. And I'm always delighted to have Wayne back. So we'll see you again soon.